Would you pray that again? Show us your glory, Lord. Show us, show us your glory. Show
isn't he? Well, church, we have given him a lot of praise this morning, haven't we? Um, we're going to kind of turn to the next portion of our, of our singing, which is offering. And you saw this fall out and I was like, well, good, I don't have to read that because to be honest with you, I was late this morning because this was the verse and I kept, it's like, is there any other one I can read? Please, can I just pick, a, pick another one? <laughs> Lord was like, nope, it's this one. Um, in Malachi, talking about the offerings that we bring. And the truth is, all of what we've done kind of falls just to the name of religious acts if we're not living this out, right? And I don't want to be a part of that. I want my offering to be pure. And Malachi talks about blemished sacrifices being brought. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offering will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. confused with Jesus who has made us blameless in his sight, right? Um, but to keep at the forefront of our minds this idea of the altar that we've been talking about and how we can climb off and get back on and we sung praise to him and we want to offer our lives to him and we want to sing oh great, great and mighty one with one desire we come that you would reign in us that you would reign in us I'm wondering if we say here, you can have it all except for this part. Except for that. Oh, that part, yeah, that might require too much. Oh, you're asking too much there, Lord. And that attitude that I have, that feels really comfortable. I kind of like how that feels. Is anyone else tracking with me? But to say, search our hearts and purify our lives means every part, no matter if your hearts even if it's uncomfortable, and even if I kind of don't want to. This is what it means to sing out that this is our desire, church. May we be found a people seeking the Lord with our whole hearts and our whole lives, open to what the Holy Spirit says. I'm not here being your Holy Spirit. I'm here to say, open your ears, open your hearts. Let's seek him so purely let's let the Holy Spirit just invade every part of our lives church do you want that with me will you sing it with me you thought of us before the world began to breathe and you knew our names before we came to be and you saw the very day we'd fall away from you and 
how desperately we'd need to be redeemed. Lord Jesus, come lead us. We're desperate for your touch. Oh, great and mighty one, with one desire we Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts your greatest gift, which is love. 
the true bond of peace and all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your only Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Well, greetings and salutations to everybody. My name is David Smith. You remember, may remember me from some hit series like Ash Wednesday Services or Connection Moment before uh, Communion. Um, I'm here today to kind of go with the theme of the sermon series and uh, talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And my favorite section in particular is the Beatitudes section. I'm a huge word person, so I love that section the most because there's just a lot jam-packed in that, uh, that section right there, and especially the words that Jesus uses in that, like being mournful, being meek, being a peacemaker, hunger and thirst, and all these, kind of, all these words convey uh, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect of life, or if you look at them all together, it's, it's a holistic mindset that Jesus does through what, is, what we often call incarnational ministry. That means Jesus is physically present among humanity as Jesus comes to save humanity, and that's the only way that Jesus can. Um, and a moment in my life that kind of really put all this together is I got to go on a Washington, D.C. trip uh, while I was in college at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. And Brian Nurick mentioned Joe Noonan and a class he did. It wasn't the same class, but um, I learned a lot from Joe Noonan on this trip. And our kind of main task was to go into the different neighborhoods, the downtown area, and tour the ministries that they are they're doing in the area so we got a bunch of different perspectives and such but at the end of this week-long trip and to set the set the scene a little bit more this is the middle of january so it's freezing cold outside and at the last day of the trip we were, did a homeless simulation for eight to ten hours in the downtown area which let me say is just not fun at all and i don't recommend it but it was a really enlightening experience too because I remember it was maybe one or two hours into the trip um, I had a really crazy moment for me where a couple of my friends instead they went for lunchtime they went to one of the restaurants that we frequented while we were there and they saw that they were going to throw out a bunch of chicken in a trash bag so that was their lunch for the day not it was probably a little bit better than what mine was, but um, I remember sitting on this park bench. We're, we were in groups of two. We only had $5 each um, or total among the groups, and we were sitting on this park bench, and I remember across the street there was two police officers over there, and one got on his radio and said two new um, homeless students on the park, park benches across the street. And, you know, I remember in that moment just hearing that and kind of like it took almost everything out of me in that moment because it it was just it was horrible to be labeled in that way and you know I, i'm sure that they have their own protocols and what they're supposed to do or, or anything like that but it it 
hurt the most because they didn't actually know who I was. They just kind of looked at me, labeled me immediately based on what they saw. And again, we were really grateful for their protection and, and so on. But I think about in the ways that we do ministry, service, or discipleship, how we can approach people in ways that we immediately label, that's an emotional need or that's a spiritual need, let me fix that for you. And we don't really analyze the situation and what's going on in that person's life. And we don't dig deep in... Sometimes it just requires us to be present in those situations. Sometimes bless, blessedness is mourning with those who are mourning. Sometimes it's being a peacemaker in the difficult situations. And sometimes it's providing food and water for people who are just thirsting and hungering for righteousness. And uh, a last moment I would like to share with you all is during one of the ministry tours that we were doing, we were helping uh, serve food and uh, drinks to the homeless in the neighborhood that this ministry was in. And one of the guys came up to us and he said, we just thank you so much. Your presence here means more to us than anything. And so I just hope that there's something in that uh, you take with you as you all go out into your uh, various ministries, service, or discipleship opportunities. Thank you. Thank you, David, for that reminder. Of, um, being present and it's so appropriate to what we're going to talk about today. We're in the midst of our identity crisis series and we've been answering the question what does it mean to be a, a disciple and we've been working through this through the lens or the or the um, the passage of the Sermon on the Mount which is found in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 it's the teachings of Jesus and we've been working through that little passage together over the past several weeks. And we'll be in it for a few more weeks. And uh, we, we've been dealing with this ideal. And, and, and it's, it's pretty fundamental we should understand this. Discipleship is based on relationship. In other words, it's, you know, when you think about discipleship, it's, it's all a learning relationship with, with God. But, but it doesn't, it's just not relationship with God. It's just not me and Jesus uh, but it's me and others, that, that God places us, that the church is not man's ideal, the church is God's ideal, that God believes that we are formed in the midst of the church, that it's in this community, that God does formation through other people. So it's, it's not just relationship with Jesus, it's relationship with other folks. And um, it's important that we connect, that, that we uh, make those connections in this body. Um, later in the service, I'm going to talk a little bit about collectives a little bit more and and um, I'll give you an opportunity to respond because we believe these collectives are important opportunities, important uh, times that you can actually connect with other people. Um, but our relationships with others, not just in the church, but outside the church, our relationships with others matter. Disciples value relationships with others. And, and we look at Jesus, and Jesus valued relationships with other people. Uh, both those who were following him closely, those that weren't following him. Jesus valued relationships. And so for us to be disciples, we value relationship. And, and in relationship, there, there's an opportunity to demonstrate the character of love, um, the, the character of God. Uh, God is love. Love is a relationship word. And so if, if we're going to demonstrate the character of love, relationship is necessary. And so we value those opportunities. And, and, and so... It's true in the church. You know, our relationships with each other uh, are so important. And the, 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 the things that we do in this place are so important. 
I have been formed by the church. I am a product of the church. When, when, when I look at my life, I, I don't know where I would be but for the church. And I could name individual, and I've done that in the past. I've named a lot of individuals in my life that poured into me, both as a young man, as a child, and as an adult, that have poured into me. I think of my, my last full-time youth pastor, and really he's my really main youth pastor, and I'm still in contact with, with Alan Thompson. And, and I loved Alan and Martha. And, and one time I was at a miniature golf course, and we had a youth activity, and... and one of the workers came up to me and got on me like I was doing something. And, and I said, Alan, I wasn't doing anything. He said, Paul, you always just look like you're up to something. And, and that was kind of true about me. I kind of had that look. And, uh, but then later in my youth ministry when I was there, I, I did something I really should have gotten in trouble for. I'm not going to go into the details. It was something really stupid that only a stupid teen would think would be funny. But I did it. And Alan, you know, caught me, and, and he came to me, and, 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 and he treated me differently than I expected. You know, I, I was expecting him to come down with the hammer of, of youth ministry on me, but, but instead he treated me with compassion and allowed me to remain <laughs> in that activity, and that stuck with me. And, and, and I think the point that, that I want us to see before we go any further in this is people can be loved into the body, but they will never be judged into the body. Uh, that it's possible to love people in, uh, but you can judge all you want, but you're never going to judge someone into the body of Christ. And so Matthew 7 deals with this ideal of judgment, that Jesus is talking to his disciples, telling them that way disciples should live, and he begins in verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And so this word judge is to make distinction. I mean, we, we, we kind of have an understanding when, when we talk about judging people. It's to separate someone out. Um, we, we all know what it feels like to be judged by other people. Um, it feels terrible. And, and everyone in this room has had an opportunity or had a time where, where someone has judged your activity or judged who you are, and they have either mischaracterized you or they've been wrong. Sometimes maybe they've been right, but all of us have had that time where someone has judged us. And, and judgment does not build relationship. In fact, judgment creates separation. In relationship. And, and so when that happens, particularly in the church, church, when we judge each other, we create separation in this body and we harm relationships and, and we harm the witness of the church and we harm our ability to bring people closer to God in this place. He goes on, for in the same way, Jesus goes on, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so, of course, this scripture begs the question, what measure do you use? When you're judging people, um, do, 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 do you live up to your own measure? Uh, the, the truth is, oftentimes, though, if we were honest, we measure with the things we're better at than the things we're worse at, right? You know, it's like, a, you know, I, so, so I'm at church every Sunday, right? So we judge the people that aren't at church every Sunday. Or, or I give 15% of my income, so we judge the people that don't give of the same measure, or, or, or we serve, or we're part of this small group, or this Sunday school, and so we judge people that aren't. And so we typically judge people based on the things that we're better at. And then Jesus drives the point home 
with humor. <laughs> you know, there's parts in the Bible that's humor. I know we read the Bible and we think the Bible's all, oh. <laughs> sometimes the Bible's, <laughs> and that's one of these passages that Jesus drives this point home with humor. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite, you play actor. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, can you, can you see the scene? There's somebody that's standing there who's got a two by four out of their eye and they're going, you know, there's a little bit of dust in your eye. Can I get that? Can I help you get that out? That's the image that Jesus is using. And it's an invitation to self-awareness. The older I get, uh, the, the, the more... Uh, the more I serve uh, as a pastor, the, the, the more I've served in different positions, the impo more importance, um, the more important self-awareness becomes. Self-awareness is essential if we want to be disciples. We, we really need to be honest before God and with others. And so the question is, how do, how do we judge people? Well, sometimes we characterize people. We put them in a certain category. Um, we, we, um, so sometimes it's clear. We, 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 we can see it and we know what's going on. You know, that, that person's worthless or that person's not worth uh, spending any time in. In a small community like Marysville, and I know Marysville's getting bigger. Uh, some of you have lived here your entire life and you know every family, right? And, and so then you, you begin to associate characteristics of that family with that person. In the first service, I used the word name Smith. I won't use the name Smith again uh, because we had Smiths in here. So, so you know the Mills family, and you say, oh, I know the Mills family. The Mills family are all liars, right? That happens in a community like Marysville. When, when, when people have known each other their entire life, or I've known that, oh, they did this, and so that's just their character, and so we begin to just put people in boxes. There's more subtle ways. Um, David's connection moment that we see people in certain circumstances and we think, well, that's just, that's just the choices that they've made. Um, they, they've chosen that path. And then I think about the privilege of my past, uh, the people that have invested in me, the opportunities that I've had. And, 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 and I think, well, not everybody has had that same opportunity. Several years ago, there was a, um, a Netflix documentary on the serial killer Ellen Warmers, anybody familiar with that? She was, I think she was the first woman executed in Florida in a number of years, and she was a serial killer. And, and she did awful things. And, and the movie, I, I don't know who was in, I've never seen the movie, but the movie called Monster was about her. And she did awful things. But then you watch the documentary, and you see the awful things that had happened to her. Not a justification for her actions, but you know, there are truly awful things that happened to this kid growing up. By the time she was seven years old, she was being sexually abused. Uh, expecting a child by the time she's 15 or 16. Kicked out of the house by the time she's 16 years old. And living in the woods, surrounded by addiction and mental illness and suffering from mental illness herself. Maybe it doesn't justify her actions, but can we acknowledge just for a moment that's not the path I've lived? 
that, 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 that the, her life was different than mine. See Rock sitting out there, and Rock has a, a, a very important ministry at West Central. And, and Rock, I would venture to guess that the guys you meet at West Central have not had all the opportunities that some of us have had. And so what I love about Jesus, and, and several years ago I, I did that self-published book, uh, Jesus Here, and in that I talk about how Jesus sees people. Jesus never saw people as simple math equations. One plus one equals two. But, but he understood the substance of life was that complex math. And, and most of the people that we encounter are complex math problems. There's been all sorts of variables in their life. And it's not just been, oh, they chose this and they chose this. But there's all these influences. And sometimes, folks, there but for the grace of God go we. And so this is an invitation to see people differently. Luke 12, 48 says, to whom much is given, much is expected. If you're sitting in here today, you're blessed. You're blessed by people who love you. You're blessed by the word. You're blessed by opportunity to hear the word. You're blessed by those who surround you. Much has been given to you and much is expected. So we have to move beyond the surface with people. Uh, to, to not have a judgmental spirit, we have to move beyond the surface. And I always love this quote by theologian Paul Tillich. He says, the first duty of love is to listen. <laughs> that, that as disciples, if we value relationships, one of the first things we do or one of the most important things that we do is we truly listen to other people. That's why uh, James writes, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, listen more than you speak because it's in listening and hearing and spending time we truly get to know people. It's pretty clear. I, I, wish, I wish I could have ended um, this sermon just right there. Okay? That, that just, it's easy, it's clear, and, uh, but there's more today. And then verse 6, it clouds up a little bit. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It would have been a lot easier to speak about not judging if that verse wasn't there, right? There, there's a paradox here. Jesus said, do not judge. But then he moves on and says, but you've got to judge these people. That's what I love about the Word of God. The Word of God is not tame. You know, it, it divides bone from marrow. That, that it, 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 it cuts deep. That When we wrestle with the Word of God, it's not always easy. It's the paradox of the word. It's, it's simple enough for a child that you should wrestle with the word of God your entire life. You never have it down. There's always things that, that, that are, you're struggling with and understanding. And I wrestled with this verse for this morning. You know, I'm on my way out. I guess I could have just passed over it and just ignored it. And, but, but it was part of the passage. I thought I needed to handle it. Picked up an old Bible that had been given to me by my sister in 1989 when I was 16 years old. And I'm in my office at home, and I'm reading, and, you know, I'm reading all these things, and, and, and I had highlighted verses 1 through 5. And then verse 6 I put in brackets, and my 16 or 17-year-old self would put a question mark. Don't judge, but you've got to judge. You know, in this passage, the dogs in the passage are not the tame dogs in our house. You know, 
It's not Kobe with his face in my lap begging me to pet him. I never thought I'd become this guy, but now I am a guy that takes my dog for a ride in the truck. Swines, you know, we probably don't hang a lot with pigs, but these are unclean animals. So Jesus is using illustration of animals that are unclean, and pigs would mistake pearls for food, and they'd gobble down these these expensive jewels and, and then be upset and trample the person. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's really a difficult passage. And theologians have struggled with this passage throughout history because of the context of it. The early church said, well, this was a warning to the early church because there were going to be people that were going to try to come into the church that, that were up to no good, that were trying to persecute us. And so the early church used this as a reason that they had to be very careful, and, and maybe that's true. Extreme Calvinists would take this passage and say, well, there's some people that you just can't evangelize. Just let it go. The majority view is that Jesus is just inviting us, or it's an invitation for discernment and relationship. And, and I can live with that to a certain degree. I can live with this idea that we have to be discerning in our relationships because relationships are important. But unfortunately, this discernment too easily leads to judging. And we've all heard this phrase, I'm not judging, I'm just a fruit inspector. Anybody ever heard that phrase, right? You know, and we, we, we use it to, to justify what Jesus says, don't do, don't judge people. And, and so I struggle with it. And, and the truth is, there's some conflict with verse 6 with other passages. Um, and, and Jesus talks about the parable of the sower, right? In the parable of the sower, Jesus says, just sow your seed, you know, just throw it. And it's just indiscriminate farming. They're just like, ooh. He's throwing the seed out, and some's on rocky soil, and some's on good soil, and some's in the bushes and the, and, and the thorn bushes. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, it you know, doesn't matter, just sow it. Dr. Kunzelman was here several years ago, and I think he used the phrase, just sow, you never know. And so it, it conflicts with that ideal that you just sow the seed and let God do with it what he wants to do. It even conflicts with the actions of Jesus. That Jesus does things that are a little bit different than this. And on the night before he was crucified, before he was betrayed by Judas, Jesus washes the feet of every disciple in the room, including Judas. To, to me, to take this passage at its literal, at its literal face, that seems to be contradictory to, to throwing your your pearls before swine and giving one holy to, to a dog, and, and yet Jesus does it. And the focus of Matthew 7 is on not judging. You know, there's less prominent views on this passage. Most of the less prominent views focus not on the dogs and the swine, but the pearls and the sacred things. In other words, the focus of these theologians is not, oh, who are the dogs and who are the swine? But the focus of these theologians are, don't you see how valuable this is? You wouldn't throw away a pearl. You wouldn't throw away a sacred thing. It matters. 
Interestingly, the parallel verse in Luke 6 reads like this. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourselves fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Nowhere in this parallel passage do we see this passage, this verse about throwing pearls before swine and sacred things to dog, dogs. But there's several things you do see. Not judging is connected to forgiveness. And you see that it's a value, it's a blessing, it, it's significant, and, and you receive this blessing to the extent that you give this blessing. And it's the way of Jesus. The student's not above the teacher, and, and Jesus showed us a better way. And so a non-judgmental spirit, forgiveness, generosity is the way of Jesus, and it's the way of blessing. Why would you throw a sacred thing, a precious thing, a valuable thing away? This, this ability to see people and love people wherever they find themselves. Once again, it's a phrase I've used often, but I think it's important. This is not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. Can we go back to the beginning? Disciples value relationships with others. So I think however you read this passage, relationship is worth the effort. Forgiveness is worth the effort. Not judging is worth the effort. Here there's a sports phrase. We're going to spend a couple minutes. Josh, can you start handing those out, talking about, we're going to spend a few, a few minutes talking about collectives, but there's a sports phrase that I love, and the sports phrase is this. Availability is the best ability. Can you say that with me? Availability is the best ability. And the meaning of this phrase is somebody could have all the athletic talent in the world, but if they're hurt all the time and they can't play, then their ability doesn't matter. In the life of the church, your availability is your best ability. And so we do many things. We, you know, I, I love our gathering here. I, I love that we gather here. Uh, there, there's connection that occurs here, but primarily relationships are built in the small, not the big. And so small groups and Sunday school classes and collectives are essential if we want to connect relationally with each other. I've said this often, and I believe it. You know, you, you, can, you can bring people into the body through programs. You, you can bring people into the body through preaching and services. But people are connected in the body by relationship. And so one of the things that we've been trying are collectives. These are short-term commitments. They're, they're not huge commitments, five to six weeks, but, but they're important. They're, they're a place of connection. We, we believe, we, we value the things that you learn in the collectives, but we believe the most important thing that happens in collectives, or the primary thing that we want to see in collectives, is that you are making connections with other people, and maybe not just the same group every time. 
but you're making connection with other people. And we want to see more people involved. Whether, wherever you are in life, this, this isn't a, a young or an old thing. This is for wherever you are in life. We, we hope that we have a collective that you can become a part of. And so you've been handed by Josh and Leanne uh, a, little pl- a little sheet of paper that gives you the, the most three areas of topic or interest and then that really dangerous question, but I hope you fill it out anyhow if you were to lead one. We're not going to twist your arm and make you, but, you know, we're doing this for a number of reasons. One, we want to see if somebody really wants to lead one. There's something God's laid on your heart. We want to know that. But secondly, that tells us what, what are the ones that will draw you most, that, that God's laying on your heart. So take, we're going to take like three to five minutes and begin filling these out right now. At least one person lean down and act like you're just fake, fake me out if you have to. Begin filling these out, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks uh, that um, when you looked at us, you looked at us with love. Uh, that you listen to us, that you hear us, and then you speak forgiveness into our life if we're willing just to allow you. Lord, help us to see other people differently. Not with a judgmental spirit, Lord, but a spirit that sees the value, the importance of all relationships. Lord, may we err on the side of non-judgmental. May we, we, if we're wrong, Lord, may we love people more. Scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. So, Lord, help us to be a people that see people differently. Now, as we go from this place, Lord, be with us, protect us, guide us, and use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.